If you're looking for success in the vacation rental industry, Heather Bayer and the team at cottageblogger.com are here to show you that it's entirely within reach. Welcome to Vacation Rental Success, the show that features interviews with industry experts, successful vacation rental owners, and more, all geared toward helping you make it happen. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. and welcome once again to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer. I'm delighted to be with you again. And as we approach the end of the summer, we're beginning to reflect back on so many things that have happened this summer and look at ways we could have avoided them, whether we should have been proactive, more proactive at the outset, and would that have made a difference and we start to look towards 2018 and what we can do better. We've had a number of issues this year that involve insurance, that involve owners asking about uh, insurance, whether they are covered and what types of insurance they need. And this is particularly the case with new owners. And I have come across a number of them who are completely unaware of the necessity for specific insurance to cover their vacation or the periods that they rent out their vacation home. Now, as a rental agency, we deal with this on a, on a day-to-day basis, talking to new and existing owners about insurance to make sure they are fully covered. And the questions they're asking range from um, what happens if the property becomes uninhabitable due to maybe a storm or wildfires. Of course, the wildfires in BC, uh, in Canada this year, have been quite disruptive to many, many people, uh, not, not just vacation homeowners, but to all the citizens of the areas in BC that have been affected. And of course, we are entering, uh, well, probably in the middle of hurricane season now, although we haven't had much in the way of hurricanes or tropical storms at the moment. But of course, these are no doubt going to come over the next few months as we go towards the end of hurricane season in November. So these questions about what what happens with my loss of income, what happens when uh, guests are uh, are under a mandatory evacuation order, How is that handled? What happens if somebody takes some of my property? What happens if somebody slips and falls? And I I don't answer those questions. This This is not my area of expertise. My area of expertise is really how you set up and and get your property marketed for a successful rental season. And when I'm asked an insurance question, I generally defer to the insurance experts. And I've been asked a couple of times recently to to do an episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast on insurance. And I'm happy to have with me today one of those, well, one such expert. And this is Darren Pettyjohn of Proper Insurance. And I know Darren is going to answer a ton of questions um, that, re- that relate to insurance. And these are going to be relevant to every single person who has a rental property 
So I firmly suggest that you listen to the end because I know you're going to hear something that is going to be of real help to you. So let's head on over right now to the interview. I am so delighted to have with me today Darren Pettijohn of Proper Insurance. And this is a conversation I've been looking to looking forward to for a long time. So thank you so much for joining me, Darren. Yes, thank you. I'm I'm glad to be on your podcast. Excellent. So you're in Bozeman, Montana. I have been there. I have I have I think I drove through, but that was about it. And and when was that? Was that all uh recently or no, it was about oh, must have been about eight years ago. We would do we did a whistle top five week tour that started in Ontario with an RV, and then we headed west to Oregon. Spent a week there, and then went down went down through California, Arizona, and then came back up um, I forty and came home in five weeks. Awesome. Well, that's a that's a good fortunate with the phone and internet these days um, a lot of business you can do from anywhere in fact we could operate our business anywhere in the world we had telephone and internet access and we choose to live in the mountains and ski and fish and and breathe the fresh air so we're very fortunate to be in in montana well i i loved it usually when i'm speaking to people that they're, they're in san diego or san francisco so it's it's quite a yeah. it's quite a novelty to find somebody from from the northern us which is uh you know on one of my really favorite places so so yeah great to great to have you here so insurance is something that i'm asked about a lot you know i'm a property manager we have 180 odd properties and every one of our properties has to be insured. So I'm asked so many different questions. And I always defer to experts. This is not something I'm expert in. I simply say, you have to have coverage. Go and talk to the right person. So I've got a ton of questions to ask you about uh, insurance that's specifically for vacation rentals. So you ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> Excellent. Just tell me a bit, um, Darren, about uh, about your background um, in the industry. Let's start with that. Yeah, well, I've, I've been in the insurance industry for the better part of 15 years and specifically insuring vacation rental properties for almost seven years now. So that's all I do is insure short-term vacation rental properties in the United States. And that's been my business and my life for the last seven years. And there's been a few things that have changed and insurance is slow to adapt to new markets. And you're right, there is a lot of confusion, but as far as, as, far as the company I, I'm with now, Proper Insurance, I'm the co-founder of this company and we started in 2014 with one with one goal in mind to be the best insurer of short-term rental properties, vacation rentals in the U.S. And we developed a product specifically for this market, and we've been incredibly successful the last three years um, selling this product in all 50 states. And it's important for your listeners to know that we're a general agent. And we're a cover holder at Lloyd's of London. So in the insurance world, that carries a lot of weight. 
Um, first off, to become a cover holder at London is essentially the highest designation you can get in insurance. There's only 4,000 cover holders in the entire world, and I happen to be one of them in, in Bozeman, Montana, so that's pretty cool. And being a general agent, what that means is that we actually issue the policy we sell, we underwrite the policy, we get involved in the claims process, we collect payment we sell it, we do everything. So we're essentially a step above your main street agent you would normally deal with. Uh, we sell through agents. There are salespeople, uh, your local agent on, in his office, and we sell directly to consumers. So this is my life, this is my world. Um, I'm glad to be here and to answer your questions. <laughs> I, I always love, love to hear that when people say, this is my life, this is my world, and it relates to vacation rentals because that's, you know, that's, that's what I do, live, eat, and breathe this business. So uh, yep. you know, always good to, to talk to uh, a fellow nerd, really. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I, I wrote the policy. I know every word in it. And that's an important thing. And we'll just hit that right off the bat. I mean, anyone listening to this, there's so much confusion. Um, you know, I called my state farm agent and he said, I'm not covered. Or I called my all state agent and they said, if I occasionally rent my property, I'm covered. Or I call, you know, you get different answers from different carriers all across the United States. And if there's one take home, there's one takeaway from this podcast. I encourage your, yourself, your owners, all the listeners, pull out your insurance policy, as boring as it is, read it, and ask the tough questions. Because insurance is very black and white. I love it um, because it's a contract that you purchase for a premium. You pay $1,000, $2,000, whatever it is to buy a contract, it's a transfer of risk. And in that 50, 70, 80 page document, every question that you could imagine is answered in that contract. It's either covered or it's not covered. This is not up for interpretation. This is not a maybe. So pull out your policy, call your insurance agent and ask the tough questions. And if you're not insured correctly, <clears throat> Find an agent that can insure you correctly. But that's the bottom line is you need to pull out your insurance. You need to understand it and you need to ask the tough questions and get a good policy. But the, that's the that's the takeaway. OK, well, we will come back and find out what these tough questions are in a second. But I, I want to sort of start at the very beginning because this is this is the question that I hear uh, a lot. You know, when, when I'm out in the field and I'm interviewing prospective new owners, and I, you know, all, one of the questions I always say to them is, have you considered the fact that you need specific cover for short-term rental? And I often get back the, the, the response, well, we've got a landlord policy, so that's fine. So I know that there is a difference between a landlord policy and short-term rental cover, but I'd like you to explain that um, from your perspective. The easiest way to explain this is there's essentially three different types of insurance for the most part for, for, a, for a vacation rental home, let's say. The first would be a homeowner's policy, which is designed to be owner-occupied. We all live somewhere, most of us carry a home. But the key word is owner 
occupied. This was developed years ago. Easy to understand. I think we can all agree that a homeowner's policy is not right for a vacation rental. The second type of insurance is a dwelling landlord policy, which is what you're referring to. Now, this was developed and created by insurance companies decades and decades ago, and it is designed to be tenant occupied. So long term tenant, someone rents your property, it's designed to be tenant occupied. And then there is a business policy, which would be like for a coffee shop or a grocery store, which is designed for a business. So we've got these three types of insurance. Most people are insured on a dwelling landlord policy. Well, there's gray area in the dwelling landlord with the biggest being the liability. So if you carry a dwelling landlord policy, there is what's premise liability. And it's designed to cover bodily injury that can happen at the premise, okay? So if someone falls in the shower because you didn't clean up the soap scum or something and they sue you, in theory, there's coverage. That's bodily injury that happened at the premise. But it does not extend beyond the premise. So your property line, any bodily injury that happens beyond that property line that can be tied to your rental, there's simply no coverage. Period, end of story, black and white. So then you begin to ask yourself, well, what could possibly happen off of my premise, away from my vacation rental, that I could be sued for, that I could be tied into? It's a very good question to ask. So this is a big limitation of a landlord policy. A commercial policy, which we sell, extends beyond the premise. And I'm going to argue all day till the end of the earth that it's better coverage because it is. So let's use an example. We love examples in insurance. Let's say you do not allow dogs at your vacation rental, but you book your property and someone rents it for a week and they decide to bring their dog. They walk their dog down the street and that dog bites a kid and that kid's father wants to sue someone because his kid got bit by a dog, okay? First off, what happened? That's bodily injury that happened off of the premise, okay? First thing that's going to happen is the owner is likely going to sue the guest. I mean, it's the guest that brought the dog, right? Well, if the guest doesn't carry personal liability or doesn't have good insurance coverage, the owner's also going to sue the kid's father is also going to sue the vacation rental owner because ultimately that injury is a result of your activity from you allowing people to rent there. That example is not covered under a dwelling policy, period, end of story. Bodily injury off premise. Let's use one more example, bicycles. A lot of people offer bicycles at their property for vacation rentals. This is a competitive market now, and people are starting to try and offer amenities to make their property more attractive to rent. If someone gets on that bicycle, rides downtown, the chain falls off, they get injured, they go home, they go to the hospital, their health insurance company is the one that's going to sue the owner. That's bodily injury that happened off premise. That is not covered under a dwelling policy. So that's the biggest difference. A dwelling policy carries premise liability. A commercial policy carries 
commercial liability that extends off the premise. So both of those examples I gave would have coverage under our policy. Even though it happened off premise, it can be tied back to the rental. Um, one other thing I want to address as well is a dwelling policy. If you pull it out and you look at it, business activity is excluded. So again, it's designed to be tenant occupied. That's not considered running a business. And there's this gray area whether or not short-term renting is a business or it's not. And we can argue it all day. Some people say it is, some people will say it's not. But if something happened, someone was intoxicated and burned your house down and you were insured through Kemper or or Westchester Fire, some, some company, and they go, you know, we didn't know the extent of the short-term rental activity. We thought this was an occasional thing. We sold you a dwelling landlord policy. We're not going to pay the claim. Now, would they deny the claim? I'm not saying they, they would, but could they potentially deny a claim because of a business activity exclusion? Absolutely. So the problem is, is there's gray area. In my opinion, the only way to 100% positively insure your property as a short-term rental is as a business. You have to insure it as a business. That's my opinion. You've, you've mentioned personal liability. So let's go on to that. What, what actually is, what actually does personal liability mean? Yeah, it's a good question. So three types of liability, personal premise, commercial, and they go policies. I explained earlier, a homeowner's policy carries personal liability a dwelling landlord policy carries premise, and a commercial policy carries commercial, which extends beyond the premise. Personal liability is for personal negligence, and you want to have that on your homeowner's policy. If you're at your home and you're having a cocktail party and someone happens to fall down the stairs and their health insurance company sues you, your personal liability from your homeowner's policy is going to respond to that. It's for personal negligence. You also find personal liability on your auto. When you drive around as a human, that is your biggest exposure, hitting someone on a bicycle or running into someone and them suing you for their injury, personal liability. But again, the key word is personal, personal. Anything involving your negligence, uh, you doing something, injuring someone and them suing you personal liability is it clearly excludes business activity. Anything associated with business pursuits, business activity is not covered under personal liability. That makes sense. Let's let's move on to, to something else that I hear about a lot, this word negligence. What does it actually mean? Because, you know, a, a homeowner having a policy is one thing, but failing to you know, keep the property up to a required standard and to maintain it in in a way that's going to be safe for people um, is going to put them in a difficult position. So what, what does negligence actually mean? And can you give us some examples of that? Well, yeah, it's a good question. And people are always trying to prove negligence, okay? And in the, basically, there's tort law, there's, there's, the easiest way to explain it is as a human, just as a human being walking around the face of the earth, you have a civil duty to act as a reasonable and prudent person would. 
Now, what the heck does that mean, right? But that's the reality. That's what all of this precedent and all these law cases and all this stuff you hear about is what would, what would a reasonable and prudent person do? Because you have a civil duty to act as a reasonable person. That's the bottom line, just as a human walking around. Yeah, if you're being sued for negligence, basically the, the plaintiff and their, their case, they're trying to show that you were not acting as a reasonable and prudent person, therefore you should be found negligent. That's the basis of everything, okay? Mm -hmm. so for example, you own a vacation rental property. You have a deck on the back of your property, wooden deck, and the wood is starting to rot away. Someone rents your property, they lean up against the railing on your deck, and they fall off, and they injure themselves, okay? Mm -hmm. What the plaintiff is going to do is they're going to sue you for the bodily injury because of the negligence of the owner, okay? So what do they have to prove? They have to show that there was a duty for you to maintain a safe premise and you should have acted as a reasonable and prudent person and you should check your deck. So that's pretty hard to defend against because the defense is going to say, well, wait a second, you're telling me that my owner, every time someone checks out, they should walk around and check to make sure that the railing on the deck isn't, isn't loose. And the defense or in the plaintiff is going to say, yeah, because when someone checks into your property from a 2000 mile journey and they're tired and they go to bed at night and put their head to rest, they're assuming they're checking into a safe environment. So it's a great question. Is that is that negligence by the owner to not know that his his railing was rotting and that someone was probably going to lean against it and it was going to give way? I don't know. That's that's why we have a system of law. Mm -hmm. But but again, for your audience, I mean, what is negligence? What is negligence? If someone's trying to sue you for negligence, they're 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 claiming that you did not do what a reasonable and prudent person would do, what a normal human would do. Yeah, that's that, that's that's a good answer. I like that. So let me uh, let me give you an, an, an exam another example because I see this quite a lot is you know op let's say open staircases in a house um, you've got a staircase it's a modern house there is no there's railing on one side there's no railing on the other so somebody could come down the stairs in the night maybe and fall off the side of the staircase mm -hmm. so when I've spoken to when I've and I've, I saw one of these properties recently and I said what does your insurer say about it and and she said haven't spoken to him yet so I haven't heard this <laughs> but um, but I is it would it is it sufficient to be saying to people before they book here is a photograph of the staircase it is open there is a banister or a handrail on one side it is open on the other care must be a take, taken when ascending and descending the staircase. Is that sufficient? Well, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say it's sufficient, but let's think this through. First of all, is the owner negligent? 
Well, let's go back to the question we just talked about. What would a reasonable person do? Do you think a reasonable person would put a railing up? Is it pretty normal to have railings on on uh, staircases? Well, it's, it's normal to have railings on staircases on both sides, but when you have one of you know a, a modern a modern building where the where the where a railing on a staircase would completely spoil the you know the, the look of the house. But that's in your own home. Yeah. Is going to have one of those modern, fancy-looking things? Probably not, because they've probably been through this. But to stay on topic here, waivers. Let's talk about that for a second, because people go, oh, I can wave, I can wave, I can wave. That's what a reason to do, exactly. Is And the only thing a waiver is doing is basically allowing – someone to acknowledge something but it you can't really waive negligence so in this case with the staircase could you waive the liability and address it absolutely can the person still sue you who falls off yes Mm -hmm. um and unfortunately legal fees is what's expensive so in that case you would um you would need to make sure you have insurance that's going to respond legal fees. I can tell you from our underwriting standpoint, we would not insure that. And we, we see that a lot. We, in fact, we denied one today where a guy in Portland had um, a tree house in his backyard and it was cool. And there was a long ladder going up to the tree house and we didn't sell him our insurance because we have to draw the line somewhere um we would not insure that property we would cancel the risk because we're gonna defend it and we're not canceling it because we won't cover it we definitely cover it but it's just a risk that we don't want to take yeah some of these examples i'm giving you are you know ones that i've been struggling with with recently but as ever i always defer my clients straight back to the expert um but uh, but but good to know that the response that I had, which was like, well, I'm not sure you're going to get the coverage for this, was uh, my, my response was probably correct. Let's uh, let's flip uh, flip this over a little bit and come away from, you know, claims and, uh, and negligence and actually look at the, the, you know, the whole business aspect of a rental. We're in a, a time when, you know, I, I do think that climate is changing and we are having more and more instances of of things like you know hurricanes being disruptive and mandatory evacuations and and then there's oil spills of course which we had several years ago the bp oil spill um and then more recently we've had the the fires in british columbia and mandatory evacuations out of that and what happens in terms of business loss loss of income if something should happen to a property that makes it uninhabitable and let's say there's a summer of rentals i mean we, we've had an issue this um in up, up here in ontario this year we had monumental rain after the snow thawed and um lake ontario has been at its highest level ever ever and we have a property that's out on a little, beautiful little place called wolf island now the property's been underwater for three months and it was fully booked for the entire summer. Now, with a good policy, would the, that income be covered? You got a lot of moving parts here. I know. First <laughs> of all, no, no, it's, that's good. 
Good, good question, by the way, too, because it does happen. And we got we get calls when Hurricane Matthew came through and different things. So here's how it works. In order to file a claim on your home policy, let's just say it's a home policy, whether it's homeowners, landlord or commercial, there has to be property damage. So there's an exclusion in all insurance policies, State Farm, Allstate, Nationwide, USAA, proper insurance, Lloyd's of London, everybody called loss of market. So you have lost your market as a result of something. So for example, I have a cabin on a lake. It didn't rain this summer. The lake is empty. Nobody booked my property. I have lost my market as a result of there being no water. I cannot file a business income claim because there was no property damage to my home. Okay. Forest fires. People cancel their bookings and say, I'm not going to stay at your property. Civil authority and government action is also an exclusion in all insurance policies, every single one. Okay. No property damage, no insurance coverage. That's just the, the way that it works. If that was covered, so let's say, let's just say Tybee Island, Tybee Island, Georgia. Oh, there's a hurricane coming. We're shutting down the road to Tybee Island. Every single person out there that owns a vacation rental on Tybee Island, Georgia, calls their insurance carrier and files a $15,000 business income claim because they lost their rental for the week. The insurance premiums for everybody would be 20% higher than they are now. It's just something that's not covered in insurance. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it does. It does when you when you put it like that. Yes, it does. You know, as, as an indi as an individual owner, you're th you're thinking solely of yourself and and of yeah. the impact that whatever is happening is having on your own rental business. But I can see that there's a very valid point that you've just made about the, exactly. the wider so, impact. Exactly. So let's say the 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 governor of California says we've discovered that there's Zika virus in California and we're shutting down all the airports for a month. Every single vacation rental property owner in the state of California files an insurance claim dollars. None of them will be covered because loss of market and government action is an exclusion in all insurance, period. That's just the way that insurance works. Now, as far as travel insurance, we know about that. You know, the people who couldn't go may get to, you know, call uh, CSA or Red Sky or whoever it is they use to, to get a trip cancellation insurance or whoever they're using. That's, that's different, though. For the actual owner of the property, you cannot file a business income claim unless there's property damage. Hailstorm, broken water pipe kitchen fire, tree fell on my roof, something as a result of property damage. Now I can't rent my property, business income. We went through the Gatlinburg, Tennessee forest fires. There were a thousand structures last December that burned in Sevier County, Tennessee. We lost 25 home losses. All of those owners obviously received policy limits on their business income. They're all getting paid because they've lost their property as a result of a covered loss. Mm -hmm. Okay, excellent, excellent. That uh, that that did answer um, a number of my questions. So.
there's a number of apps that are now available. Um, I, you know, at, at our Vacation Rental Success Summit here in Toronto back in um, back in May, we came across you know the the there's a Noise Aware app, there's a Party Squasher app. There are different apps that you know that that claim to reduce the risk um, of uh, you know overcrowding and and other uh, other risks that may happen to your property. What are your views on on these? Are they are they helpful? Um, do they have any impact at all on on your insurance? In, in my in my own home, I have a generator. I have um, an alarm system, and each of those knocks a little bit off my um, my premium. That's a great question, and it's good timing. And from a traditional insurance standpoint, obviously, an insurer needs to collect more premium than they pay out in claims. I mean that. That just makes sense. Um, and you're right. We, we have discounts and rating for a, a wood-framed home versus a brick-framed home or a 1950 home versus a 2,000-year-built home. I mean, all these little variables over the years, we have these actuaries, if you will, of what's good risk, what's bad risk, what's a discount, what's not. So... To answer your question, we are actually working. It's funny you mentioned NoiseAware. Um, we're working with NoiseAware right now to offer a slight discount on our policy. Uh, it's minimal, but like you said, they all add up mm-hmm. for someone who has a noise monitoring system at their vacation rental property. Um, and from from twofold, one, it does reduce potential property and liability exposure if someone is to nip a party before it gets out of control, et cetera. But more importantly is it shows us the level of person we're dealing with. We're dealing with a professional. If someone buys our insurance and we ask them, do you have a noise monitoring system at your property? And they say, yes, we, those are the kind of people we like to insure because they take care of their property they run it as a business. They're a professional, and we're probably never going to hear from them. So, so there is there is a place for these types of of apps, then. Absolutely, and we're all you know we're pioneering this right now, and we will look back on the claims history over the next two years and say, is there a correlation with people who have a noise monitoring system in our claims? And if there's a correlation there, then we're on to something. Um, it's just because this is a new industry and this is new technology, someone has to start testing this stuff. And we decided to start testing um, noise monitoring. Now, Noise Aware is obviously one of the pioneers of this, and and I have a good relationship with their company, so I, I felt comfortable offering a, a, a slight premium decrease. But it's not just Noise Aware. It's any noise monitoring system. We will offer a slight premium discount, correct? Okay, that's good to know. Um, so tell me about supplemental insurance. What What's that? And, and how does that fit into the VR industry? Yeah, that's the new thing that's out now. So basically over the last two, about two years, these insurance products have started to rise that are essentially supplemental liability insurance. Um, there's, there's quite a few carriers out there doing it. There's a one called Comet Home. 
there's slice, there's peers, there's more and more, there's assurance, there's, they're, they're really starting to pop up where they're saying, we will sell you liability insurance, commercial liability, which we've been talking about for a nightly rate of seven or $10 a night or whatever it is. And it will only be in effect for the period that your property is rented. Okay. So really great idea. I mean, I can understand why insurance companies would want to try and get in on this and do that. Uh, they can collect a lot of premium. I mean, you think 10 bucks a night and someone books 200 nights a year, that's $2,000 in premium. That's pretty fantastic. But here's the problem with supplemental insurance is you're not addressing the underlying problem, which is either your homeowners or your dwelling policy. So what they're saying is keep your homeowners insurance, even though we know that really about anything could be excluded on it and just buy this liability only policy for your rental booking period. And it's really kind of unfortunate in a way because everyone focuses on liability. They think, man, this is my biggest exposure. I'm short term renting. What if someone sues me? And yes, the answer is correct in a sense that it's your biggest exposure, but it's not a common exposure. 99.9% of claims paid are property damage, vandalism, broken windows, tree, hail damage, broken water pipes, backups of toilets, sewers and drains. I mean, on and on and on. We pay property claims and the liability claims that we pay and defend are far between. They do happen and you need insurance for that. But these companies have zeroed in on this this scare tactic, if you will, of liability and said, oh, don't worry about your property. Just keep your homeowners, keep what you have, but you need to buy this liability for 10 bucks a night. And they've taken it so far that they have actually partnered and convinced very large property management companies to put it as an add-on to the booking process. So they've basically turned commercial liability into travel insurance. So you're the consumer. Someone has to pay the 10 bucks a night. So you go through, you book, you do this. Do you want travel insurance, this and that? Well, guess what? An extra 10 bucks gets added for this liability product. Someone has to pay for it. So it's unfortunate in a sense that some companies are buying into it and doing it when the reality is what's the solution Heather, what's the real solution here? The solution is the owner of the property carries a comprehensive policy like propers, then the supplemental insurance is irrelevant. It's not applicable. There's no need to have it added on top of the correct policy. It's being added on top of policies that are incorrect. So very, very um, hot topic right now. You see it on the internet. You see it everywhere. Supplemental liability insurance. Be aware. Buyer, be aware. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, we're sort of approaching the end here, and I've got two more questions for you. I mean, what? Um, um, th this one I meant to ask much earlier on because you started with it about the tough questions with, with the, when you're telling people to go get your policy out, the 60, 70, 80 page policy, look through it, and then go to your broker and ask the tough questions. I, I need to come back and just say, have we covered all these tough questions or, or is there something I'm, um, we, we haven't touched on? 
Well, I'm a big believer in the rule of three and simplification. So for your listeners, um, good stuff in here, but, but just ask a few questions. Let's think of three good questions that you could ask that you should be able to get a very straight answer on. So here's the first one, and you need to do this verbatim. You need to ask your insurance agent and tell them what you're doing. Don't fly under the radar. Heaven forbid, don't do it. Tell them. I regularly rent my property, short-term rental. If a guest damages my property during the rental period, am I covered? That's fundamentally such an easy question to ask. So we're not using the word occasional, remember? I regularly rent my property on Airbnb, VRBO, FlipKey, and all the rest, or through my property manager. And a renter damages my property. Am I covered? That should be so easy to answer. Second question is, if I regularly rent my property, if I was held liable for bodily injury off-premise, does my liability extend off-premise? Now, we know it doesn't with, with premise liability, but the other thing, Heather, is most of these policies, actually people out there have a homeowner's policy with some kind of funky rental rider, which personal liability actually does go off premise, but it's all for personal. It's all for personal. So you need to be clear and you need to say, I regularly rent my property. If, if I was found liable for bodily injury off my premise, is there coverage for this? An example, bicycles, dog bites, you know, these kinds of things. It's a very, very, good question to ask. And the third one is income. People work very, very hard, including yourself and everyone else in this industry to build a successful vacation rental business. I'm calling it a business. Whether you own one, two, five, or 20 properties, you work hard, you market it, you do customer reviews, you get repeat customers, you advertise all this stuff. You make an income from this. So you need to ask your insurance agent, again, regularly rent my property, vacation rental. If there was a fire or a total loss on my property, do I have loss of income or business income coverage on my property? If you're getting gray answers on those, then you need to shop around. And we're not the only carrier. There's plenty of companies out there who offer good, sound commercial insurance products for vacation rentals. We'd like to compete for the business, of course, but it's just simply too important for the owners of these properties not to ask these questions and make sure they have good insurance. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Thank you for that. So finally, let's just talk about the short-term reg- rental regulations. And I know, you know, I'm asking this, you know, to talk, asking you a question with an answer I want in two minutes. <laughs> and this is probably a topic for an entire separate podcast. But um, we, we know that short-term regulations are, are happening big time, not just in the US, but across Canada, across, across the world. Um, how does insurance fit in with what's, with what's happening in the short-term rental regulation um, arena? This is a two-part, and I'm glad that we're ending on this. Um, Such a good question. So, first of all, what's happening? Um, Many local communities and, well, cities and counties 
are putting in a insurance requirement in order to get a permit. Denver has one, Nashville has one, Chicago has one, so on and so forth. And it's good. I mean, it should be, an, you know, it makes sense. If you want to apply for a permit and you want to be above board for short-term rent, you need to show us proof of liability insurance. Now, some cities have actually stated commercial general liability of one million. Chicago did that. Nashville did that. Some of the other cities are simply saying we need to see proof of $500,000 of liability. <laughs> so they don't define it. So they could see personal premise or commercial. They just need to see a half million of liability, which, hey, it's not their fault. It, not everyone's an expert in insurance. And when they wrote the ordinance, they just said a half million in liability. So either way, we are starting to see an insurance requirement in a lot of these regulations that are being drafted across the country. But part two is what are we for? I'm pushing and lobbying very heavily all across the country for a commercial general liability. Here's the reason why. One is it's, let's be honest, one, it helps me sell insurance because I'm one of a few people that sells commercial insurance. And I, I know for a fact that it's the right way to insure a vacation rental. So there is a bit of a self-interest there. But more importantly, is there's underwriting guidelines. Remember I told you we're not gonna insure the guy that has the rental with the zip line or the stairs that, you know, there are people we deny. So through this underwriting process, we are naturally creating a barrier to entry and helping out the community as a whole by not allowing or not insuring some people. I that's just the reality, and it gives you a ton of lobbying power and interest for the community and pro short-term rental. Well, these people are required to carry commercial general liability, and because of that, we're, we're weeding out the bad seeds, if you will. It's, it's a little bit more expensive. There's an underwriting process to obtain it. It's good for the community. It's good for the city. It's good for the neighbor. It's good for everybody to have that requirement. So that's what we're doing. That, that's interesting to hear because I, you know, we, we are, we will never, I don't think we'll ever hear the end of the discussion on short-term rental regulations as, as it comes up everywhere. So, so that, that, that's interesting. Darren, it's, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. We've sort of come to the end of our, of our hour because, I could go on and on and ask you a lot more questions, but uh, I know we will probably meet up face to face uh, at a conference near us at some point in the future, and uh, and I will I will come directly to you to ask the rest of my questions. Um, so for now, I'd just like to thank you so much for joining me. It's been a, a real pleasure having you on. Yeah, thank you so much, and you're definitely a, a leader in the industry. I've seen your material and you're following over the years and it's great to finally connect and I'm sure your your listeners will get uh, some value out of this cast so thanks yeah they will get a lot out of it yeah thanks very much well huge thanks to Darren Pettyjohn for for that information I loved those three questions I'm going to write them out 
um, type them out, put them on the uh, on the show notes, so you can go and download those exact questions that Darren recommends you go and ask your insurers. So if you want to get get hold of Darren, you can do so by emailing him at darren at proper.insure. And telephone number is 888-631-6680 for you to answer any for him to answer any insurance questions you might have. You can also uh, go to the show notes where you'll find the contact information for Darren uh, and uh, proper. If you've got any questions, you can put them in the show notes as well in the comments section and Darren will come along and answer them for you. So that was that was a really good hour. Um, you know, if anybody said that insurance was boring, well, actually, it's not when you start thinking about how it applies to our properties and how it applies to to the the risks that uh, that we have to cover. So it's been absolutely great being with you again this week and uh, look forward to next time. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over, but don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business. Oh,